This afternoon, we're going to take some time to consider what God's Word tells us about the glory of God and what the glory of God means for our lives. Before we look at our scripture passage, let's think about how the word glory is used in our world today. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary definitions of glory are, one, praise, honor, or distinction extended by common consent. Two, a state of great gratification or exaltation. And three, great beauty and splendor. I'm sure that many of you have had some memorable experiences in nature, perhaps a gorgeous sunset or a stunning view of mountains and and lakes, uh, or a vast expanse of prairie fields full of grain, and the word glorious comes to mind. All of you who are parents and those of us who are grandparents or aunts or uncles can recall the thrill of seeing a newborn infant and uh, marveling at the beauty of life. In the sports and entertainment world, we celebrate great displays of skill and expertise. What a year for Canadian soccer, for example. Those who perform well are given glory. In each of these examples, when you see or experience something glorious, it holds your attention. You cannot look away. You want to drink in the experience with all of your senses to enjoy it, and you want to share that experience with others. Come and take a look. Isn't it glorious? Of course, those who've had their hearts opened by the Holy Spirit have come to understand that all of this glory belongs to our Creator God, the God who breathed the universe into existence, the God who created people, male and female, in His image, and the God who bestows gifts to each one of us to be used in His kingdom. And yet we know that throughout history and in our world today, So many people fail to recognize the glory of God when they see the beauty of His creation. And in fact, many deny the existence of God. How can this be? Today we're going to read two passages from the book of Exodus in which Moses encounters the glory of God. Before we read these verses, let me take a few minutes to give you the context of what is happening in the verses we're looking at. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been living in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years. When a new dynasty of leaders came into power in Egypt, the Israelites lost their favorite status, and they were forced into slavery and hard labor by the Egyptian rulers. Although they had not forgotten the covenant promises made by God to their forefathers, the Israelite people were not experiencing the abundant life that had been promised. God heard their cries of despair and raised up Moses and Aaron as leaders. And then, through a series of mighty displays of his power, he delivered his chosen people out of slavery, through the parted waters of the Red Sea, and into the wilderness. And they arrived at Mount Sinai. There, God began to communicate with Moses about the boundaries for reestablishing community with his people. He provided the Ten Commandments and many other requirements, and he also reaffirmed the promise of bringing his people into the land of Canaan. Then God reveals himself to people in a special way. In Exodus 24, we read how God calls Moses and Aaron, two of Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel into his presence, and they're given a vision. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. 
and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Moses then remains on the mountain while the others return to the people. Moses communes with God for a long time, 40 days and nights, apparently long enough that the people decide that he's not coming back. And in direct violation of the commandments they had just committed to obey, they build a golden calf that they can worship. God is justifiably angry with his disobedient people. He indicates to Moses that he will not remain with these people. He is testing Moses. In response, Moses intercedes for the people and appeals to God's faithfulness to his own promises. God accepts Moses' intercession and renews his promise to go with his people. And this leads us to our passage today, if you guys can put it up. Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then in chapter 34, after Moses has made some preparations, we continue in verse 4. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. As we consider this text and others related to it, we're going to be reminded of three things. How and why the glory of God is concealed. How and why the glory of God is revealed. And finally, how the glory of God is reflected by his people. Let's first think about how, how and why the glory of God is concealed. When we read in Genesis about the creative power of God as he brings the world into existence and then forms Adam and Eve in his image to be in community with him, the glory of God is so evident that the word glory is not even used. It's not even used, uh, it's only used once in the book of Genesis. As he creates, God pronounces, it is good, it is good. And then when he has created man and woman, he declares, it is very good. Adam and Eve will be able to behold God's glory in all of its fullness and to live in communion with him. 
But then we read in Genesis 3 that Satan the serpent introduces the lie that God is withholding something from Adam and Eve. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Adam and Eve had looked away from the glory of God. They had decided to pursue their own glory, and then they began to realize the cost. They could no longer freely enjoy the glory of God. They hid from Him. Their communion with God was ruined. The impurity of sin in our lives creates a barrier. It keeps us from being fully in the presence of a pure and holy God. This explains why so many in our world now fail to see the glory of God. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans lays out this sad reality. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this part. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. We need to understand that if God had not already planned to further reveal his glory to his created people, all of us would still be in this state of futility, separated from God, unable to recognize his glory and fully deserving of his wrath. But we are here this afternoon because we know that God was not content to allow his created people to completely turn away from his glory. He desires to be in community with us. He wants us to know and enjoy him. And so he moves toward his people even as they falter and fail. As God stated to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. In the story of the Exodus, he shows himself to his wandering nation of Israel by appearing to them in the wilderness as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the Shekinah glory. The word Shekinah is not found in the Bible. It comes from Jewish rabbinic literature. The word means dwelling or settling, God dwelling with his people. We see references to this presence of God in several places in the Old Testament related to both the tabernacle that was assembled during the wilderness years and to the temple built by King Solomon centuries later. Always though, the glorious presence of God is somewhat veiled, smoke and cloud hiding the full glory of God because, as God explains in our text today, man cannot see God and live. There are occasions in the Old Testament where God reveals himself to certain individuals whom he had called into service for himself. 
Each time, the person who encounters the glory of God is immediately confronted with the ugliness of their own sin. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah responds to a vision of the holy God in his temple by saying, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God's servant Job, after he hears God's response to Job's questions about why his life had been turned upside down, says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Similar responses are recorded for Gideon, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others. So in today's passage, it is remarkable to read that Moses, a man who had already witnessed with a front row seat so many displays of God's glory, a man who had spent considerable amounts of time alone with God on Mount Sinai, now makes this request, please show me your glory. Moses was a humble man, completely aware that life without God's presence is empty, and he hungers to know God yet more deeply. In his book, Mere Christianity, author C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Moses longed to know more of the world for which he was created, a world where God's glory is always fully on display. God, in his graciousness, grants Moses' request, even though the lingering presence of sin in Moses' life meant that Moses could not fully see God. God indicates he will provide a cleft in the rock and will cover Moses with his hand to protect him from the destruction that all who have sinned against God deserve. And then God reveals himself to Moses as much as Moses can bear and what does God say of himself? The Lord, the Lord. He says his name, Yahweh, I am, the one who was and is and is to come. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Words describing God's love and his unchanging nature. But who will by no means clear the guilty, speaking of his perfect holiness and justice. Moses had asked to see God's glory, and the glory of God is simply God himself in all of his fullness. But Moses could not fully see God's glory. God's plan to restore his relationship with his creation was not yet revealed. Brothers and sisters, you and I have been able to understand God's glory more completely than even Moses was able to witness on that day on Mount Sinai. God's eternal plan was to send his son Jesus Christ into the world that he created, to live the life of perfect obedience and communion with the Father that none of us are able to live, and then to accept on our behalf the penalty of death and separation from God the Father that all of us deserve, all because of God's great love for us, his desire to be reunited with a people 
who were not able to fully see and enjoy his glory. As we consider our Savior suffering and dying on a Roman cross, we are witnessing the full glory of God. As you hear Jesus call out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you hear God the Father whispering in the background, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. As Jesus proclaims to the repentant thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Hear once again God saying, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. As Jesus addresses his mother and his friend, woman, behold your son, John, behold your mother. Recall God's words, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And as Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God saying, but who will by no means clear the guilty. When Jesus utters his final words, it is finished and gives up his life for us. We have experienced all of God's glory on display. This moment in history should capture all of our hearts, all of our attention, all of our wonder. It would seem quite appropriate that we stay right here in this place and move no further in our thoughts, in our lives. The sermon should end right here, shouldn't it? But God has a further call for us. He tells us, your hearts and minds have been opened. You have understood my glory. Then in Matthew 28, verse 19, now go and make disciples of all nations. You can't keep this glorious news for yourself. You need to go share it. Go and glorify my name. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, writes, what does it mean to glorify God? Glorify is not like the word beautify. Beautify means to make more beautiful, but glorify does not mean to make more glorious because we cannot make God more glorious than he already is. The word glorify is more like magnify. That is to make God's glory more evident to a world that can't see him because of the blindness of sin. But how shall we do that? Is our reaction the same as the prophets of the Old Testament? The more we comprehend the glory of God, the greater our awareness of our own sinfulness, our limitations, our failure. Moses was aware of his limitations. In a passage further on in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses descends from Mount Sinai after spending much time in the presence of God's glory, we read that the people were afraid to come near him because his face was shining brightly. But Moses reassured the people and encouraged them. And then, when he had finished speaking, he covered his face with a veil. He did this each time he had received instruction from God and then spoken with the people. Whenever I've read this passage before, I assumed that Moses was just helping his people to not feel all freaked out by his shining face. But the Apostle Paul explains what was really happening here. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, Paul writes, Moses would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. 
Moses did not want his people to become discouraged because the glory of God that Moses was reflecting always faded because of the sinfulness that remained in his life. Is that still true for us today? Do we experience the glory of God and get all excited and share the good news with everyone around us, even people we don't know on the street, in the workplace, in our classrooms, but then when the realization sinks in that sin continues to drag our hearts away from God, does our enthusiasm to tell others about Jesus fade? Does our effectiveness as witnesses disappear? If that were true, the church that Jesus Christ died for would have disappeared a long time ago. No, the good news for us today is that not only has Jesus Christ secured for us an eternal future with him in glory, but he is also at work in our lives right now through the Holy Spirit to enable us to reflect the glory to our to reflect his glory to our darkened world. To help us understand this process, let's consider how diamonds are fashioned. I'll ask you guys to put up that next slide. This is a picture of rough, uncut diamonds. You can see some luster there, but nothing that you would put on a ring and say, look how beautiful. But in the hands of an expert diamond cutter, these rough stones become magnificent gems. Next slide. Shining and reflecting light in all of their many facets. This is how the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. Does your laziness keep you from spending time reading God's Word? Allow the Spirit to prick your conscience and give you a renewed hunger to learn from His Word so that you would be able to grow in understanding and then share that understanding with others who have questions. Does your impatience hinder your willingness to spend time with someone who is slow to accept God's promises. Give that over to the master to be reshaped into a gentle heart that spends time in prayer for the lost and suffering. Does your fear of rejection keep you from asking a friend if they have ever considered who Jesus is? If you will let him, the Spirit will give you the confidence and trust in God to be able to speak without fear. Diamonds come in many shapes, but they are all beautiful. The Holy Spirit is shaping each one of us to serve Him in unique ways. Whatever gift you have received, wisdom, a generous heart, a love for children or for seniors, an ability to teach, musical talent, discernment, a desire for justice, whatever it is, you are called to use your gift to draw others to the Savior. A beautiful diamond has no light within itself. It simply reflects the light that shines on it in brilliant ways. This is what Paul tells us as he continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. No, the glory of God reflected in us does not fade. When we are open to the Spirit's work, His beauty will be reflected more and more in our lives. Perhaps some of you who are hearing this message today are considering who Jesus is 
but you have not yet recognized the glory of what he has accomplished for you. I would encourage you to keep looking, to come and ask questions of myself or Pastor Paul or any of your Christian friends, and then to experience for yourself the joy and peace of placing your hope for life in the one who gave his life for you. My friends, we have begun to understand the glory of God in our hearts and minds, but there will come a day when we will see it with our eyes. Listen to these words of the Apostle John about the vision he received and wrote down for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. As we look forward to that day, may God be using us to draw many more hearts towards himself for that great day. Amen. Let's pray.